now we can finally say that hindsight really is 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie, sharing stories, empowering mindsets. Stephanie Dixon is a Paralympic swimming champion who was born with one leg. She has competed in three Paralympic Games and earned 19 medals, seven of which were gold. She holds multiple world records and was inducted into Canada's Sports Hall of Fame in 2016. In 2017, she received the Order of Canada and was a CBC Sports Broadcaster for the 2018 Paralympic Games and the Commonwealth Games. She's the chef de mission for the Tokyo 2021 Paralympic Games and is an ambassador for Canadian Tires Jumpstart Charity. She was born in Brampton, Ontario, earned a BA in psychology in 2009 from the University of Victoria, and now owns Stephanie Dixon Motivational Coaching in Whitehorse. Lowell and I were lucky enough to take part in the first two seasons of a documentary series called Mindset Go, which used Paralympian stories to inspire everyday Canadians on a health journey. Stephanie took over our role for season three, and as you'll hear, we have a lovely chat about this connection. We followed the conversation where it led, and we covered territory that was fun, random, and also meaningful. We are so honored to have had the opportunity to speak with Stephanie today. She joined us from her cabin in the woods in Whitehorse, so the internet isn't flawless, but the conversation was awesome. We hope you enjoy. So Lowell, you should introduce me to your friend. (laughs) Stephanie Dixon. This is so awesome. We're so excited to be speaking with you. I remember meeting you the first time in Peru at the Para Pan Am Games. And from the moment I saw you in front of the athletes and encouraging us all, I could just feel your energy. And then we had a couple of really special conversations. You've made an impression on my life, and I'm really mm-hmm. encouraged to have you as a friend now and to be communicating with you and introducing you to my wife, Julie. Hello, Stephanie. Yep. <laughs> nice to finally meet you. Lowell has raved about you. And as he's describing all these super positive qualities about you, I'm like, Lowell, you're kind of also describing yourself. I'm like, you two are sort of the same person. You guys are these positive, (laughs) determined, resilient unicorns, I would say, that this world needs. So I'm glad you guys found each other. I felt the same way. Like, Lowell, you're such a kindred spirit. And I think, yeah, we, we hit it off two peas in a pod right away, sharing lots of values and our vision for, for sport and health and well-being of athletes. And it was just so lovely to connect with you and Lima. And I know our paths will continue to cross in the future. Mm-hmm. I hope so. And another cool connection that we have is at that stage, we had done two seasons of Mindset Go. And then to see that you were going to be doing season three and now having seen it, so good. Like what an amazing fit for you. That was that was awesome. Oh, thanks so much. I loved participating in Mindset Go. And Lowell, it was great to chat with you in Lima and to recognize that so much of the feedback that you both had given this show came to life in season three. And so things went in a bit of a different direction, you know, adding in much more diversity in the participants and having a much stronger tone on their health and well-being and that measuring weight isn't the best and only way to measure someone's progress. So I was so glad to be the beneficiary of of your awesome contribution and feedback to the show because I had the best time. That's so Um, awesome. It's so cool to come around the other side, you know, when you've been an athlete yourself and gone through the pains and the struggles and the learnings and then to be able to offer that to, to others on their journey and to to make that connection is so special. 
What about the whole TV aspect of it? Have you, had you experienced that before? Because that's something, I mean, we experienced it first a bit um, on the Amazing Race Canada, but then more so with Mindset Go, just having the sound guys and the, the video guys and the whole background. And I just loved meeting all the people. Yes. Oh my gosh. The crew was incredible. I think one of the most special parts of the experience for me was all of the people behind the scenes mm-hmm. who so believed in the show. Like yeah. you could just tell it wasn't just another job for them because I, I tried to a couple of them. Um, who I'm sure you both probably worked with as well, who had done some docu-series on like truckers or the border Mm. crossings or things like that. And and that was more just like, okay, this is my job. Whereas the passion that came out from them for that, they did not mind going a little bit over uh, schedule or just really going above and beyond. And so it felt like such a team effort. Yeah. Um, And I might get in trouble for saying this, but one of the participants actually had something break down in their car and it was an adaptive device to help them transfer in and out. And the crew fundraised to help one of the participants Mm. to be able to get their car back up and running in a way that was accessible to them. And I know they're not supposed to... You kind of blur those professional lines, but I think that's just a testament to say how much they were yeah. invested just in the each biggest of the participants' hearts. journeys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. We even had, when we were part of it, there were a couple of crew members who were going on their own health journey at the same time as they, as they would listen to, in particular, Lol Talk to be like, oh, like it would really just kind of strike a chord with them. And then they'd check in with Lol after. You have a psychologist here for this period of time. <laughs> Better get your time in. I love that. You know, that the, the crew was also inspired and on their own health journey. I mean, that's what it's all about it's not helping one person it's using one person's story and spirit to inspire everybody so I think that that was just a huge testament to yeah how powerful the show and and the journeys were yeah and I think it makes it so much more authentic too when everybody's invested and they're like hey I want to do this for myself too and hopefully the viewers feel the same way we won't take up all your time with months ago but we really love that some of the crew members had previously done food shows so they knew about a bunch of hole-in-the-wall restaurants like authentic Chinese food and Greek food and all these little places that we would have never found on our own and that's where we went for lunches on our lunch breaks took us to those places. It was so fun. We had this cultural experience on top of it. It was so fun and delicious. Oh, man. It's so neat. I love little hole-in-the-wall restaurants. Oh, yeah. I got to travel to Tokyo after Lima last summer, lol, and uh, just to kind of do planning and prep while we were there, but pre-COVID, of course. And all we found were little hole-in-the-wall restaurants. And sometimes there'd be just two seats. It's like a little sushi bar with just two seats. And they, oh, just the best food. Those are the best places to find. Okay, fingers crossed we can go. Amy. Or at least, at least you two. I will <laughs> sacrifice my my trip and stay home as long as you guys can go. <laughs> yes, I am so excited for the well, hopefully for the Olympics and Paralympics to go forward, but just the world to open back up again. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually really excited for what I feel is going to be like this skyrocketed global feeling of gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because suddenly just being able to hug each other, hang out, to travel, oh, yeah. to go taste that authentic ethnic food. I think we're just, there's no way we could appreciate it at the same level after, you know, going through something like this. Yeah. I like those silver linings. The power of of gratitude. Yes. So you are on this really amazing journey of your own as being chef de mission for... Chef de mission. De mission. mission. (laughs) Our our kids are trying to teach us French. They tease us. And 
And to be clear, I'm not cooking for anybody. <laughs> but I tell no people chef. I'm chef the, from the outside of the sport world. Um, nobody wants me cooking for them. So, so how do you describe uh, chef? How do you describe that role? Yeah, great question. So chef de mission, the yeah, it is a French French uh, title, is like the team lead. So I would describe it as the head spokesperson of Team Canada, the head mentor for athletes, the head cheerleader, my favorite Ooh. part mm-hmm. for the athletes. And it's a role where I chat to the public and the media to help connect the athlete's stories and performances to the rest of Canada, but as well as to lead Team Canada with a vision and a mission that I have based on my own experiences of having been an athlete. Mm-hmm. And now I get to share all of my, you know, what I learned along the way, but also like hindsight, you know, we've already mentioned hindsight can be 2020. And, you know, at, coming on the other side of my career, there's so much that I would love to say to swimmer Stephanie. So I get to say mm. it to Team Canada instead <laughs> to hopefully inspire and, and help them learn from, from my own experiences. Yeah, I think that's so important to have a former Olympian or Paralympian's perspective as the chef de mission. It makes so much sense. You know, the the spokesperson of the team, the person talking to Team Canada, as well as the public, who better than an athlete who, when I am with the athletes and back in the games environment, it takes me right back to being an athlete. I get the butterflies in my tummy and I can just remember all of those feelings and the nerves and, you know, the pressure and the excitement and... And so I think that when you've been through that yourself, you're obviously yeah. much more able to articulate it with, with that emotion that yeah. the athletes are feeling. Mm-hmm. All the feels. All the feels. You felt them and you can be with them. And the feelings aren't rational in so many ways that when you're in the middle of sport, it's so big and you can just journey with them on that. And your energy is contagious, but you don't just have this raw, raw energy, which you need and you turn on, but you also have that compassion and you mm-hmm. come alongside. Because I know you had a you had a game face <laughs> seeing some of the videos from the past. It's sort of like when it was when you were on the blocks, it was all on. You know what that competitive is like. I am. I looked mean. It, it, there definitely was a game face. And sometimes when I look back at those pictures, I'm just like, who is that? <laughs> but it was this very serious, competitive game on personality, very driven. Yeah. And, and I, I draw upon that because mm. sport is, it can be intimidating. It can be triumphant it can be devastating you know kind of brings out everything within us and I think sport can also bring out our deepest fears and insecurities or allow us to walk and stand like giants and and so with each athlete that I interact with um, especially because I've been to three games I competed for 15 years no matter what an athlete is going through I can I can still be able to relate it back Mm. either to something I experienced or what a teammate might have experienced and I think it's so helpful for athletes to have some on the staff who knows what those feelings feel like even just to normalize it or say oh I know I've been there and and you're right Laurel compassion is such a big part of it and empathy and because everyone's games experience is is different and some people are having the time of their life and others just can't comprehend why they can't bring it all together when it really counts. And yeah, yeah it, it's it's an honor to share those journeys. Well, already we've spoken about stories. So we talked about Mindset Go and others, and many people know your story. I think it'd be helpful for us to hear how you tell your story. What's what's oh. the Stephanie Dixon story in, in brief? You don't have to go to the full documentary. You can go to lots of places. I know Level Playing Field with AMI just did an amazing one for you. Oh, um, that was cool. Yeah, I watched it with the kids. They really appreciated that too. Yeah. 
So we'll we'll put links in in the description too to where people can find your story. But yeah, how would Stephanie Dixon of right now start? Start with February tenth, nineteen eighty four. Just kidding. But that's your birthday, right? (laughs) Happy birthday. You recently had a birthday. (laughs) Thanks so much. You guys are good, man. Um, I love this question because I think that the media can shape your story in a different way than maybe you would tell your story. Mm -hmm. And so it has been really great in the last number of years for me to really give some thought to, you know, how do I perceive my story versus what is out there and what's in the media And so for me, I would say in in 1984, the most vivacious, energetic, passionate little baby was born. I was born missing my right leg, my right hip, half my pelvis, and my insides were on the outside. So it's called an omphalum seal where some of your intestines uh, can be in a bubble of skin outside of your body. So I needed to be rushed in a helicopter to another hospital to get my insides put back inside me. And I was so fortunate because I had a nurse who stopped, I guess, the the process of me being swept away without being held by my parents. And she stopped because she knows how vital it is for humans to Mm -hmm. hold each other and touch each other. And she said, this baby has time. Her mother needs to hold her. Mm, So the nurse gave me to my mom. And so I got to experience that physical touch. And I don't know how different I would be or if I would have survived with the surgery I had. I only had a 25% chance of living. And just knowing now the research I've done and how how human touch is so vital. And I think a lot of us are experiencing that right now with Mm -hmm. the pandemic and the lack of human interaction and touch we're getting. Absolutely. But yeah, so my story begins with a gift from the nurse in the delivery room who who knew I needed to be held by my parents. And and then I was on my adventure, rushed in a helicopter to, to sick kids in Toronto to have lots of surgeries where I fought for my life. So I think that that combination of, you know, being held and, and, and someone having that foresight to see how important that was, as well as needing to be a fighter right off the bat, really shapes my story because I think my strengths are my compassion and empathy, but also my fighting spirit. And so that combination um, has brought me through my life and, and allowed me to compete on, on, you know, the highest stage in sport but also to fight through the stigma and the misconceptions of what having a disability is like. I would say that that very sparkly, optimistic and energetic child turned into a bit of a shell for a good 10 years. Um, Grade eight was devastating for all of us. I was just going to say, yeah, Yeah, grade eight. (laughs) Try and navigate through where our place is and, Yeah. And I, I think for me, I just went into a shell in grade eight and didn't come out for quite a long time um, because I watched the way the world treated people with disabilities, the messaging, the lack of role models. And I really struggled with that. And thank goodness for sport. Mm. <laughs> sport was the hero of my story for a very long time where I felt like an alien <laughs> wearing a prosthetic leg, covering, trying to cover up my body outside of sport. And then sport gave me this opportunity to explore and thrive and fall in love with my body. And I I was very successful in that. But somewhere along the way, I realized that sport was the hero of my story and I was supposed to be the hero of my own story. So then started my journey of self-love and because I 
was so proud of what my body could do and the medals that I could win. But I realized that I was not necessarily valuing or being very proud of myself. I thought the medals and sport were giving me value. Mm. So I've worked very hard. So I guess the second half of the story is all about, you know, it is us athletes who give value to sport and to medals, the human spirit being portrayed and embodied within sport. Sport's just the avenue and the vehicle to let us shine. And I think that that's why I want to stay involved in sport and why I'm the chef, because I believe in the power of sport, but even more so, I believe in the power of the human spirit that shines through in sport. So yeah, I guess, I guess that is kind of (laughs) the overarching story. I hear a lot of similarities with Lowell again, because that's when Lowell really kind of felt a turning point too, is when, when he found this Paris sport, like there's, there are a whole bunch of people like him and like the camaraderie and sport spirit. And we all need to belong. You know, I had a chat earlier today with a friend about belonging mm. and it really is a vital to human existence. And, and, and sport gave that to so many of us, mm-hmm. so many of us walking through life and, and, you know, not really wanting to feel like we were disabled, you know, because of the stigma that came along with that. But then also not really feeling like we fit in just amongst everyday people. And so I think Paralympic sport has created a really beautiful community of belonging and a place where we can turn the stigma on its head. You know, you Mm -hmm. see people with physical or cognitive disabilities thriving and it's not succeeding despite our disabilities. Mm -hmm. We succeed with our disabilities. They're a part of who we are. And and they can allow us to to be creative or or empathetic or ad- like the the adaptation and resilience you see from Paralympic athletes is just mm-hmm. it is just the most be- some of the most beautiful part of, of mm. humanity. And so yeah, so Paralympic sport and the community that it's given me the belonging and a place to yeah see what our bodies can do is is why I still feel so strongly about staying involved in the Paralympic movement. One of the reasons that we started this podcast is because when Lowell races against other para-athletes, I just want everybody's story. And I want the world to hear these stories. And I really wish that the Paralympics was a bigger deal, was advertised more, it was shown more. Like, can it go on at the same time as the Olympics or before the Olympics? Because I feel like the interest kind of dies down after the Olympics and it's not being shown enough. I'm like, these are amazing stories of human spirit and resilience and everyone would benefit from it, pair or not. I know. I know that's the thing. And I, I'm not sure why it hasn't clicked in yet um, to global media that this is something that people want to see, that people will connect with and be inspired by. And I think that it's it's coming. You know, every games we we have more coverage and and for Tokyo, we were set to have historic yeah. Canadian coverage from CBC of the Paralympic Games. And so I, I think it, I think it's coming. Good. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> we'll put that out there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you spoke about spirit. What does the Paralympic spirit oh, mean to you? The Paralympic spirit. Oh, I know what it feels like. Just trying to find the, the word. So at the Paralympic Games, you have every intersectionality possible. Of, of, of humans. So from all over the world of different backgrounds, different beliefs, all genders, all body types, it, it just, the intersectionality is absolutely amazing. And so I think you see just the most beautiful representation of humanity at the Paralympic Games and what the human spirit stands for. So every Paralympian has had 
to overcome more than just what you overcome to become a high performance athlete. So there's a high performance athlete side, but with additional barriers to, to life, to being able to believe in yourself, to have confidence in yourself. So the buzz around the Paralympic games is, I would say there's a, a big vibe and buzz of camaraderie, um, of, of resilience, of, oh, what is the oh, grit? It's like, yeah. it's grit. It's like when the world throws you to the ground and you say, oh, I'm going to cry. Oh, that one just got me. But the world throws you to the ground and you say, I'm getting up. Like, give me some yeah. more. I got this. Yeah. And it's just so beautiful. So that's, a, I don't know, maybe not the most eloquent way to describe the Paralympic spirit. But I think the word that comes to my mind is grit. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a beautiful response. Got me all choked up over here too. Yeah, <laughs> Lowell's got tears in his we've eyes. We've got some tears. I mean, that, that, I think that tenacity, that grit, that passion, and you see it, you see it. And, and you said other words like resilience and inclusion is in there. And you see people helping each other, like the amount of support staff it takes, the, the group and everybody's looking out for each other. I don't, it doesn't feel as self-centered. It really feels like a, a group of everyone supporting each other. You have the wheelchairs guiding the blind guy and I'm, I'm help pushing them and they're telling me where to go. Like it's, it's a really cool, <laughs> there's teamwork. It's, it's, it's a really beautiful thing to watch. Because at the end of the day, nobody can get up off the ground without help and support. And I think we all know that. We all know that they're like sport saved a lot of Paralympians lives. Yes. You hear those types of stories where somebody had something happen to them. They acquired a disability and they just didn't know how to go on. And, and sport and the support system that they found through sport allowed them to get back on their feet and, mm. and not only to survive, but, but then to, to thrive and to excel. And yeah. it is the, the community is just so, so beautiful. And it, and I think that, at the Olympic level, I don't know if there's a feeling that by being friends or supporting each other that it'll take away from your performance, because I feel in the Paralympics, it, it increases your performance. When you look around at each other and you're not going to go easy on your, your competitors, it's nope. not like that. It's like that you can still support each other and think, I want you to give your best because it's going to make me push even harder, you know? And so, you know, you're in it together. Mm -hmm. And so it is, it's, it's competitive, high performance but also the the height of support and love and camaraderie. Yeah, and as fellow athletes, you have more of an appreciation for what they've gone through too to reach that level. Exactly. And what it, what it's taken to become a high performance athlete, but especially with a world that doesn't necessarily acknowledge you or or your efforts or your level of athleticism. So I think that there is a bond that way as well mm -hmm. is that we're all just fighting for the world to see like success comes in all different shapes and sizes. And yeah, the, we just want the world to see what, what Paralympians can do. So I think that that way, like knowing that we have all kind of faced so much stigma of the world and, you know, it, it's like that feeling of being so visible and so invisible at the same time, you know, cause everyone notices you when you have a disability yet you feel so invisible for what you're capable of sometimes. And so being, you know, underestimated or overlooked. And so that then the Paralympians come together and it's just like, let's fucking shine. Let's do this. Let's show the world what we can do. Lowell's got a little bit of a different challenge in that his disability is invisible. Like he looks totally normal. 
And I mean, I'm, I remember when... I just don't act normal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember it broke my heart one day when he used to work at the hospital and they put those wet floor signs out all the time, like in the middle of the hall, in the most inconvenient places. And he just kicked them over like every day. And he didn't have his white cane at that time. And I remember he commented to me one day, he said, one day if I show up at work with a white cane, everyone will be like, oh, that's why. Like, that's why he keeps kicking over those signs. It just like broke my heart. <laughs> and I remember once also we were, I mean, there are so many stories, but we were at a coffee shop when our eldest son was newborn and I was nursing him in the corner and he went to go get us water and he accidentally bumped into a lady and she kind of spilled some of her coffee on her arm because he doesn't have any peripheral vision. She was shorter than him. He, she didn't, he didn't see her at all. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. But he didn't explain his visual impairment at all. He just said sorry. And she was like, oh, oh, just, you know, and she was kind of in a huff. And as soon as they parted ways, I, I had my son like latched to me and I just like darted up and I went to her and I'm like, I'm really sorry. He's visually impaired. And she's like, oh, okay. That's okay. You know, they understand then, but you can't tell. That is just so great to bring up that point. Cause I think that I am often offered support that I don't need because my disability is so visible and people assume I need more support. Whereas Lowell, for you, I imagine it's the opposite and not that you need support, but just, you know, people don't have that understanding or because it is so, I once lived in an apartment building with a woman who had chronic fatigue syndrome mm. and we would both be getting on the bus outside of our apartment building and it always lower the bus for me, even though I, I actually won high jump in grade seven and grade eight, I can get on your <laughs> bloody bus, <laughs> but he'd always lower it for me. And then she would ask for it to be lowered, but because she didn't have a visible disability, he'd always roll his eyes and be like, ah, oh, fine. And so we'd always just joke that like, I'm getting the support that she needs. <laughs> you have to do everything together. <laughs> just so many assumptions and yeah. Yeah. it can be very challenging. You are a little bit different in some of the athletes too, in that you've always been missing your leg, whereas some of the other Paralympians and para-athletes acquired that, like they had an accident or something happened. Do you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my, one of my favorite parts about the Paralympics is being able to share s- stories that that we've all gone through. And, and I think sometimes I feel a little bit bad because an athlete might share their story with me expecting that I'm going to be able to offer this great story back. And, and sometimes I would feel like, should I just say a shark or this? And I like it's just, uh, you know, to create a fun or exciting story. But yes, I think that there are very, very different challenges that come along with acquiring a disability. And I would never begin to understand what those challenges look like. And so I think that there's some struggles that everyone with a disability can relate to and others that I just, you know, there was athletes that, you know, stepped on landmines in war zones and and Mm -hmm. lost limbs. So not only acquiring a disability, but probably not having the medical attention that they would have really benefited from as well as living through a war like I can't possibly begin to imagine what what that is like or or you know some of the refugee athletes I remember the one swimmer I think it was back in 2012 and or 2016 and you know she had swum she had like a Syrian swimmer and she she was just swimming away uh, from her country and and to, to another country to safety and 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 I think that's where humility in the Paralympics comes from and because I think that's also another word that we would have to attach to the Paralympic spirit is humility because there's just stories all around you and I think for everyone just being in awe that somebody could live through something like that and still come out fighting is just so completely inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite a- athlete stories is a swimmer from South Africa 
And I'm going to say this story as I remember it. It might not be completely detail accurate, but uh, from what I remember, his brother was training to be a lifeguard and he was a lifeguard himself. And his brother was training to be a lifeguard and he saw a shark out as his brother was training. So he went out to save his brother and ended up having his leg bitten by the shark. Mm. So he, he lost his leg trying to save his brother. And the best part of this story is he is now an advocate for shark safety and protection mm-hmm. because he believes like we're in their territory, you know? Yeah. And so he doesn't yeah. have it out for the sharks or anything. He actually advocates for their, their safety and protection. And so I, I love that mm-hmm. story yeah. so much and, and the grace that, that he went through it and also becoming a Paralympian, obviously so great. Yeah. The stories are fast and they're incredible. Your dramatic tale can just be, I was born a mermaid. I was put on land by accident. Oopsies. <laughs> I used to say that as a kid for sure. And I, I still do feel like a mermaid. <laughs> Have you ever tried one of those mermaid swim suits? Swim tails, no. The swim tails? Oh, I need to wear one of those. But yeah, I feel like I've just I already have You like already a, have it, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you would have, if you wore the mermaid tail, because you would nail it more than anyone else in the pool. There'd be like all kids, everyone, all g- grownups too, like, whoa, there's a real mermaid. That's pretty cool. We have a, a a little segment here that I want to try with you. And, and this is our, our first time trying this. And so <laughs> it's- You're a guinea pig. You're a guinea pig. And it's kind of, it's brought off, the, the words we use matter, but words words, we ascribe meaning to them. And these words can mean different things to different people. And it's kind of like this mindset word bird. I don't know if you remember a word bird from Fred Penner. but We haven't come up with our own name yet, so we're ripping <laughs> off Fred Penner. This idea that yeah, <laughs> we're going to check in, um, say a word, and I'd like you to reflect on that word. So a definition or what it means to you. Okay? So I like it. The first one, disability. A couple things come to my mind with disability. Disability to me is the social and structural barriers that prevent all of us from living and accessing all areas of of life and society. So I like to adhere to the social definition of disability, that our bodies are not disabling at all. It is society the attitudes, as well as physical access that create barriers, but but not our bodies. And with disability, I just think human creativity, like human variance, human potential, I think we really get to see um, through disability. Should I tell her a little story of our youngest when he was three? Yeah. Uh, So our kids, they're now seven and a half and nine, uh, but they recognize the disability symbol. And uh, when the little one was three, he pointed really enthusiastically and he said, look, it's a parking spot for people with possibilities. Yes. He was three. It was, we're like, yes. Oh, I like that. I like human potential, human possibilities. That's what mm-hmm. I would link to disability. Love it. Mm-hmm. I need to use that. <laughs> Another word, community. Mm. A space free from judgment a space free to be exactly who you are, to be supported, to be the best version of yourself. Pity. Oh. <laughs> I knew that was going to get a, a gross expression. For that one. <laughs> oh. You know, I've been told I'm amazing quite, quite often. And there is such a difference. Like it's so nice to be told you're amazing because, you know, you're a high performance athlete or because of your ability to lead or, but there is a way to say you're amazing with a tone of pity. And it's my least favorite phrase because of that tone. 
oh, it just drives me nuts. When I had kids, it's like, you look so good for having a baby. Like, did you have to add that last bit on? Like, can you just tell me I look good? Thanks. It's the asterisk. It's the asterisk that comes along with it. It's like, no. So pity is demeaning and it is the opposite of belonging. It makes you feel inadequate. It's like, yeah, like the opposite of community. It's just, we need less of that in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another word, self-worth. Um, the top of the mountain. <laughs> I think that when we can achieve self-worth, then we've made it. That that's that's the goal, and that's when we really shine through and can can show the world what we're we're made of. It's you know I think a lot of times performance can be at the cost of self worth, and it, it's it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. So self worth to me is is the top of the mountain. It is the the best possible achievement mm. that any of us can can hope to not hope to but can intentionally achieve. Mm-hmm. I've heard you say the word enough before. Mm. So that's kind of self-worth is connected to that enough. Yeah. Self-worth, self-love. Yeah. Knowing that you're, you are great just the way you are enough Mm -hmm. is knowing. I think that I felt incomplete uh, physically, emotionally, in lots of different ways. And and enough is, is feeling complete. Mm -hmm. How about success? What does that word mean to you? Success. Success means uh, having your own back and surrounding yourself with people who elevate you and who allow you to see your own human potential and possibility. Mm, Beautiful. You're good at this game. I like this game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What's the definition? I like that. Just it's that reflects back your mindset and and you are a high performer. You're, you're a mentor, you're a leader and it's helpful to see inside the mind of somebody like yourself who's doing so much good in this world. And so if we can all invite ourselves into some of those ways of seeing these words, um, we can all, we can all be a bit better. So thank you for sharing. Thank you so much to both of you. That's, it's just such a fun activity because I think that sometimes we can get caught up with external um, definitions and, and it's so nice to be asked and reflect on, on our own definitions of, of words. And Your cottage, is it a cottage? Would you call it a cottage where you live? I live in a cabin. Oh, yeah, cabin. Oh, um, so quaint and cute. It's cottage-like, but uh, yeah, I call it a cute cabin. In the documentary, Level Playing Field, it's um, oh, wood-burning stove and everything. It just looks so idyllic and you're yeah. wearing plaid. And, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in Whitehorse now. I live in Whitehorse. And you've been yes. there for eight years or so. How long have you been there? So I guess I'm coming on nine years. Um, oh my goodness. This is no, in the summer, it'll be 10 years. Oh, wow. oh time flies. <laughs> so this is interesting. You, you were a bit counterculture. You are one of the few people who brought gold to the Yukon. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. How have I never thought about this before? <laughs> Everyone else takes away gold. You brought You're just trying to even the playing field, hey? That's so awesome. I love it. <laughs> so how much gold did you bring to Yukon? How how many gold medals do you have? From the Paralympic Games, I've won seven gold medals. Wow. Some individual and some from relays with my teammates. You were part of three Olympics, 2000 in Sydney, 2004 Athens, and 2008 Beijing. Yes. 
So did you have a favorite? Oh, yes. I feel like when you talk about the games you've competed in that your answer should be like parents. Like, of course, I don't have a favorite. They're all just special and unique in their own way. But I absolutely have a favorite. Well, I have (laughs) a favorite kid. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. Um, Sydney was magic. It was my first games. I was 16. I found belonging for maybe one of the first times in my life. Mm. Um, And Australia loves amateur sport and it just felt like the whole, and, and this is just my perception, of course, but it felt like the whole country was just behind us all. And, and in 2000, the Paralympics was not very well known in Canada. And I kid you not, 17,000 people came out to watch a swim in wow. the swimming pool, 17,000 people, wow. the stands, because well, swimming is Australia's biggest sport. And we were stopped every couple of feet for autographs and mm. pictures and to chat with people. And oh, awesome. it just made us feel so seen and supported. And it, it was incredible. And I think it elevated everyone. And the, the fans were cheering for all countries. They, they, they just erupted. And I've been in games where the biggest cheers are for the athletes from the home country. And, and you can understand that. But Australia just... I heard a saying when I was there, they were like, Australians would cheer for flies in a farting contest. (laughs) They just love to get behind people who are putting their best foot forward. (laughs) And it's an amazing culture from a sporting perspective, you know, just, they just want to get out there and cheer and, and we felt it. And the, yeah. And I think even back in 2000, it, the Paralympics was less commercialized than it is now. I think now we try and be a little bit too much like the Olympics and, and lose a little bit of our, our special community that way. But in 2000, it was still very much, you know, still growing and developing. And I would say back then, even more so than now, that that feeling of community was was very strong. And some of the athletes from other countries I met in Sydney are still some of my best friends. So what is your best event and what is your favorite event? Are they the same thing? Interesting question. So my best event was actually not a Paralympic event. My, my best event was 200 backstroke. And I think I still have the world record for it. I, I should go and No, don't look it up. You that. do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, and that wasn't in the Paralympics. So the Paralympics always has to draw a line between, you know, wanting to offer as many different sports and sporting events as possible, but keeping the depth of competition as great as possible. So... So I understood why they couldn't include all of the swimming events, um, but it was too bad that my best event didn't make it to the Paralympics and the yeah. 200 backstroke. So in my best Paralympic event was the 100 backstroke, which I won in all three games I competed in. But is that my favorite event? Great question. I think I love the 200 individual medley because you get to do all of the different strokes. Um, but if you can imagine the breaststroke with one leg, it's supposed to be this symmetrical kick. And I'm yeah. just like one, one wing on one side. Yeah. Hey, that's small very- too. <laughs> <laughs> Except he has two legs. <laughs> we were part of our uh, local master's swim club for one year. And what? that it was both humiliating and humbling. <laughs> Awesome. A little bit oh. behind everyone, but it was, yeah, it was really, it was really fun. It got a little expensive because on top of the, the fees for that, we also had to hire a babysitter at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And we pay our babysitters well. So. <laughs> <laughs> I coach a master swim club here. We have about 120 swimmers and wow. I love when people who are non-swimmers come and join the club and yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you guys gave swimming a try. Okay. That's well, so you fun. need to post COVID. 
please come to Lethbridge. And I still swim. Well, pre-COVID, I was swimming two to three times a week just on my own. I'd go first thing in the morning and get some lengths in. And I was, I heard you describe feeling free in the water. And I can understand that. I mean, the first like 10 to 16 lengths, usually I'm like sucking air and, and, and struggling. But once I get in the groove, it does, I just feel like I just glide. And yeah, I, so I totally get that feeling. But also I'm like, are, are the instructors and the lifeguards looking at me like, ooh, does she think she looks good in there? That's uh, So I, I need somebody to actually tell me if I'm, if I'm swimming accurately. <laughs> it's good to have a coach. You can't see yourself, you know, you can't kind of like look around and, and see what's happening and you're in a completely different plane. You're horizontal, not vertical. It's, it's really hard to self critique or coach yourself in swimming. So it's always really helpful to have someone take a look and, mm-hmm. and it's so technical. It's just, such a technical sport it's hard to relate the skills in the water to any other sport um see i would be so happy to go swimming with you guys sometime and maybe invite you up to the yukon and we can swim in a glacier fed lake absolutely oh i'd love that (laughs) amazing oh my goodness here it is taken off this year i don't know of anyone who was doing it on a regular basis pre-covid but now that COVID is happening. People are getting creative and with different ways of de-stressing or going on adventures. Mm. So one person in town dug an ice hole in a local lake. And I I was like, oh yeah, maybe a couple people will go in. I kid you not. There's like a group of 50 people that are going in like a couple times a week and they're just hanging out. And sometimes minus 30. I had a friend who for her birthday was in minus 30. She's like, I want to try the polar dip. So we had to like scoop all of the ice off of this giant hole and she jumped in. It was wild, (laughs) but it is very healing. Like Mm -hmm. I believe very strongly in like the Wim Hof method and the cold water therapy. It's Mm -hmm. so, so good for us if we can stand it. (laughs) The power of breath and the power of, yeah, we can do it and our bodies respond. So that's a big piece about training, right? We we train to break our bodies down to recover even stronger. So this idea about finding ease in life and making everything easy and being comfy and cozy 100% of the time, it, it often doesn't make us feel better in the end. It's learning we can be more comfortable being uncomfortable. Have you guys read the book Breath? Uh, it's on my, it's in my Audible. I'm in a breathing class right now learning mm-hmm. how to breathe properly. And it's incredible the power of our breath and it really, it can dictate wh- or how our nervous system is operating. If we're in the parasympathetic or the sympathetic, and I'm about to change the whole topic of this podcast, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think everyone should read this book. It's so fascinating. And and yeah. like you're saying, in terms of recovery, especially mm-hmm. if we're going to break down our bodies and mm. and want to recover and build back stronger. Yeah, breath is a big part of it. Well, you can go weeks without eating. Don't recommend it, but you can. You can go days without drinking water, but you can only go minutes without breathing. So yeah, it's so crucial to who we are as human beings. That makes me think of free diving. Have you ever done free diving? Okay. Yes. I love you guys. You bring up the best topic. So James Nestor, who wrote Breath, his first book is called Deep and it's all mm. about free diving. And so I went on a swim trek because... I still love swimming post my swimming career. And the way I feed that love and passion is now I go on swimming holidays all over the world. They're called swim treks. And our guide on our trek two years ago in in Greece was a free diver. And he's like, Steph, you have to read this book. So I went home and I read deep and I booked a trip to Mexico to take my free diving level one training course. (laughs) It's so amazing. It's because it really combines like 
yoga, breathing, mindfulness, um, the water, which is my passion. So free diving is definitely just like one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had. Oh, it fascinates me. So how long can you free dive for? Like how long can you hold your breath? So in the beginning, I kid you not, I was like 20 seconds putting my face in and I thought as a swimmer, I should be able to hold my breath longer, but like my cardiovascular system is, is it's a, it's aerobic that I'm used to it because I'm breathing, you know, like every couple seconds back and forth. So my aerobic system is great, but holding the breath, I was terrible. And also I didn't have the relaxation techniques. Mm -hmm. So then uh, I did a bit of training and I, I'm not exaggerating within, I would say two weeks, I got up to three minutes. What? So it really is powerful how relaxation, just learning about our lungs and our diaphragm and and how we hold our oxygen, the need to breathe, air hunger comes from our intolerance to CO2, not because we've run out of O2, out of oxygen, but we just don't have a tolerance to the CO2 buildup in in ourselves. So then that was so interesting for me to realize, oh, it's not my inability to hold oxygen. It's my lack of ability to tolerate CO2. And so it just, it's been such an interesting journey and I've learned so much from it. So yeah, so I'm about three minutes right now. That's so cool. Oh my goodness. So cool. Are you planning to go more? Like, yes, I can't wait to go more because blue whales are my favorite and um, they're my favorite mammal. And there's places in the world that you can go free diving with mm. blue whales. Oh, and my so word. that is the ultimate goal. I have no desire to go like 100 meters depth mm. down into the deep, dark, scary ocean. I'd rather just stay closer to the surface and, and stay under for a long time mm. with the blue whales. Oh, oh, oh that wow. I'm speaking of feeling free. Like, can you imagine? Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> is Free Willy your favorite movie? Oh my gosh, you guys, Free Willy, it makes me cry. I put on that Michael Jackson song. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, you know, I love cheesy Disney films. So somewhere between like, remember the Titans, Free Willy. We've been bringing all those era movies back for during this pandemic. We've had several popcorn movie nights and we've, we've, we've brought back all those movies from our childhood. Like my favorites, like Free Willy and Beethoven. We have our own Beethoven here on St. Bernard behind me. So, uh, he himself has seen Beethoven five times now. (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) Does he watch the the TV? Can he hear the dogs? Um, we were watching once on our laptop and Beethoven's second has all the puppies and he was fascinated. Like he looked up and his ears were up and he was, and they were all like yipping, like yip, yip, yip. And he, it's, I don't know. See, I've heard mixed reviews on whether dogs can actually see the TV or screens, but it seemed like he could. (laughs) He's like, I want babies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's so sweet. Oh, here's, here's Toby. He's huge. How much does he weigh? Uh, About 200 pounds, but we, cause we adopted him about nine months ago. So he's three and a half. He lived, he was an outdoor dog on an acreage for three years. And now he is 100% indoor. And like if it's snowing or raining or cold and we open the door, one paw out, nope, no thank you. And he like won't go without me. We we took him to the vet to get him weighed and stuff, but he's too big to fit all four of his paws on the scale. So we actually don't know how much he weighs. (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> he is so sweet. I love dogs, especially big dogs. Oh, You have dogs too, right? I have a girl named Frankie. She's oh, turning cute. two next month. She's waiting very patiently in her crate. We're going to go for a ski tour. Oh, awesome. Stephanie, I have, an, I have another impromptu segment for you. Oh, wow. The, this one, this is surprising, Julie, too. This is, this is called, I'm just going to make it up on the spot. What have you learned or what, what you learned from dot, dot, dot. Okay. So very what, catchy. What have you learned from your coaches or a coach? What is the biggest lesson you've learned in life from a coach? Can she count mm. herself in that as a coach? No, no, that comes up later. <laughs> okay. Mm. Oh my goodness. What I've learned from my coaches is that we are all stronger than we think we are. Mm. And with the right support around us, i.e. the coaches, then that that's when we tap into that strength and that potential that is just so far greater than we ever thought possible. So I think what I learned from my coaches is always have a coach. So, you know, and it doesn't need to be formal in life, but people that you look to for guidance and support Mm -hmm. and who build you up that having a coach in life is one of the most important things that we can do in order to reach our potential. Nice. Might I recommend marrying a psychologist? Right. I really feel like that helps me reach those goals. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. Partners can be coaches. There was somebody, I don't know if it's a TED talk, but it was just like, you know, know who those five people are in your life. You know, your cheerleader, yeah. your coach, your, your peer, mm-hmm. your mentor. And yeah. Okay. What have you learned? What is the greatest, greatest lesson you've learned from your parents? From my mom, I would say what unconditional love looks like. And I think the reason I was able to go so far in my, my swimming career was because of that unconditional love where I was loved and supported, whether I came first or last, you know, whether I was triumphant or came home in tears, the the love and support is the same. My dad said to me recently, you know, we focus and we celebrate certain moments in life, but I hope you know that I'm proud of you day to day for the person that you are. Mm-hmm. And, and that messaging is very, very powerful. And, and from my dad, the value of hard work and authenticity, like the integrity and authenticity that you bring to your hard work. So it's not just putting your head down and mm-hmm. getting the work done, but, but make sure it's a reflection of, of who you are. Awesome. What have you learned from your body? From, from yourself, from, from your internal being? I've learned that my body is smarter than my mind. <laughs> and, and my body is, all of our bodies are filled with such wisdom and intuition. And even the uncomfortable feelings like anxiety, they're there to support you. Your body is always trying to love and support you. And so, you know, I've experienced anxiety in my life and I've learned like, I used to wish it away and and I've learned to embrace it and to recognize it as love and support. And it's trying to tell me something. Mm-hmm. And so to now listen instead of be angry and upset that I'm experiencing something unpleasant. So I've learned to really love and listen and honor my body. One of my favorite TED Talks is about changing your perspective on stress because mm-hmm. our body does the same things when we're anxious, like heart beating and you know, when we're feeling all anxious. It does the same thing when it's preparing for action. So Mm. if you just think about it as, oh, I don't have to be all worried about this. I'm just, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to go. That's helped me a lot. Like when I've had those butterflies and my heart's pounding and I'm feeling all nervous, I'm like, no, this is, this is not going to take me down. This is going to bring me forward. Exactly. That's a hundred percent it. And as athletes, I think it's so important yeah, to recognize those responses and that they are there to help us. And so when I was little, I can't remember who it was, but someone's like, those butterflies in your tummy, they're going to give you wings and you're going to fly through the water. Oh, I love that. 
put a positive spin on it. And yeah. as a kid, that made a bit a really big difference. Oh, yeah, especially a, especially a mermaid kid. Yeah, <laughs> I have a tail and wings. What? <laughs> it's neat listening to your body. That sense of you learning how to stand on your own foot. Yeah, that's it. That's right, it. Which speaking of, and when okay, when you're standing on the blocks before you jump in or dive in the water, you have such good balance. Like, do you, are you ever <laughs> off balance when you're standing? Like, it seems like you just have amazing balance. So yes, be, being born with one leg and, and this, I absolutely give credit to my parents is they didn't help me move around. They allowed me to give the space for my leg to develop, to, to be strong, to learn, to walk with a prosthetic, to hop, to walk on my hands. I can totally walk on my hands. Party trick right oh, there. Cool. Um, yeah. And so the balance really developed with, with me throughout my life. So my leg is very, very strong. It's very, very balanced. My core as well, I'm asymmetrical. So my core really had to help to overcompensate for that imbalance in my body weight. Mm. And so on the blocks, it's so funny because people who I swam against now it's like 15, 20 years ago, what they remember about my swimming career is I could jump up onto the blocks with one hop. Mm -hmm. I could, I could jump really high and that's what they would remember. Like I, I will run into to people periodically who I used to swim against and they'd be like, oh my gosh, do you remember how I used to just jump up onto the block? <laughs> Still can. It, was like, it was really fast too. Mm. Also, like yeah. I could swim fast. I, but, but that's the thing people yeah. remember because it, it is incredible how the body adapts. And so that the balance as well as, I mean, I, I had trouble fitting into jeans because my quad was just so mm. massive because yeah. it adapted with me yeah. um, and allowed me to just pounce up onto those yeah. blocks. And speaking of your clothing, do you have sewing machine and skills that you adjust clothing or do you get them? How do you get your clothing? This is a very good question. My mom used to sew my bathing suits uh, when I was little, but she's now since passed away. So I had oh. to then learn how to sew my own bathing suit. And so I can sew things like by hand, I can stitch things up, but I'm also, I don't want to say I'm a lazy person because I know how that sounds and comes across from <laughs> a Paralympic champion, but I'm, I'm lazy in certain aspects. You have priorities. Yeah, I have priorities. So for example, I'm wearing Lululemon tights right now and I have tucked the right pant leg up into the waist of the pants. Oh. And I do the same thing with jeans. So I always have like a bit of a bulge out the back <laughs> because I'm, I'm just so lazy to cut it off and sew it up. Well, big glutes um, are really in right now. So you could just work that to your, <laughs> to your advantage, your benefit there. Big glutes. Yes. Giant yes. rear ends. Yes. <laughs> Lowell's like, excuse me, what are you talking about on our podcast? <laughs> I thought about writing to different companies like uh, onesies or jumpers are really popular right now. And I was like, oh, what do I do with the extra pant leg? I can't tuck it up and it's just going to be like a tail. So I thought about writing to a company and be like, hey, would you think about making a one-legged onesie or like, mm. you know, like ski pants that have the bib there yeah. or, or like overalls. Yeah. And I always say I'm going to do that, but I, again, priorities, laziness. <laughs> I read a story last year or something. I think it was on CBC where one girl, her feet, some people have this where they're two different sizes, like one foot was size nine and one was size seven or something. So she had to buy two pairs of all her shoes so that she had the right size. Well, and so she had all these like extra shoes. And so she kind of put a shout out there, like, does anybody else have this problem? And she did find somebody in Canada yeah. with the opposite of the same sizes. So they like swap shoes. 
I do the same thing. I have a Paralympic sailor. Jackie Gay lives in Victoria. Her foot is a little bit bigger than mine, but she's got the right foot and I have the left foot. And we oh. do mail boxes of shoes to each other. Oh, that's like, amazing. It's so fun for flip-flops or running shoes, boots. Yeah, for the most part, we can make it work because you don't want those shoes to go to waste. No. So. I wonder what they could do with like just extra pant legs. Uh, right? Yeah. Mm, make a quilt. <laughs> So one more question. What have you learned from sport? Hmm. Or what has sport taught you? Sport has taught me so many different skills. I mean, sport allows us to focus on what our bodies can do rather than what they look like. And, and I've said this quite a bit throughout my life because I, as lo- along with most humans, we are very critical of what we look like. And when you're doing your sport, we're just focusing on what our bodies can do for us and how they can empower us. Mm -hmm. And so I think sport has taught me that uh, all bodies can be empowered and be beautiful and Mm -hmm. achieve amazing things. Yeah. Um, And sport has also taught me about resilience and the importance of recovery. And we had touched on this before where, you know, we talk about working really hard, breaking our bodies down, But resilience is born from the recovery period after we break ourselves down or break our bodies down, push ourselves to the limit. So sport has taught me about um, resilience and recovery and working smart is not always working hard. Mm -hmm. Working smart is also allowing time for recovery, which leads to resilience. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And that word resilience is actually a big part of what this podcast is about and what our messaging is, is obstacles and opportunities. And the obstacles are opportunities for growth. And you can't grow. In order to have resilience, you need to have struggle. And I'm just wondering if, if you see that in your life, how do you relate to that idea of obstacles and opportunities in your life? I am so grateful for all of the obstacles that I've experienced. The the struggle, I think struggle can be so beautiful when it is met with support. So with obstacles, opportunities, resilience, surrounded by support and resources, it's just, it's what life is all about. Mm. I'm guessing you're a lot like Lowell in that your selected recreational reading podcasts, all those kinds of things are like <laughs> learning growth psychology things. Yes. I hate that it is called the self-help section. <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong with you. It is, should be called human yeah. growth, human yeah. potential, human yeah. development. <laughs> Everyone yeah. should be reading these types of of book. I admire that. I'm always trying to get Lowell into my uh, true crime comedy podcasts and uh, he's like, no, (laughs) not interested. (laughs) My funny um, dynamic is my books are usually heavy and on the growth development side, but my TV shows are all garbage. Trash. (laughs) The trashier, the better. The worst television. (laughs) It's not the meat and potatoes. That's where you get it from the books, but it's the candy and the the TV. Well, we've taken lots of your time and and lots of your information and knowledge. It's been so incredible to have this time to speak with you. And I hope that those listening can really get a sense of your mindset and just even taking that energy you have and that zest for life and growth and resilience It's and grit. It's so powerful. And no pressure on uh, future people that we interview or anything, but man, have you set the bar high. Yeah, yeah it was, you are, <laughs> wow, you're, you're so fun to talk to too. So it's, 
been our pleasure. So how, can how can people find you and follow along your journey and anything to promote? And yeah, what do you have to promote? How do we how do we get on board with the Stephanie passion? You know, I am one of the weirdos that is not active on social media. <laughs> I mean, I live in a cabin in the woods in the Yukon. So I think that kind of says it all right there. <laughs> Please, everyone listening, watch out for the upcoming Paralympic Games. Let's get behind our athletes because, and potentially Lowell on that team as well, get behind Lowell. It's going to be a hard games. Yeah, you know, it's it's not going to be the same hype and energy that we're used to seeing at the Olympics and Paralympics. So I just want to encourage our viewers, like, let's get behind our athletes and, and make sure we're cheering them on. They know that we're behind them as they attempt to inspire the world during a global pandemic. Love it. Awesome. Thanks again so much, Stephanie. We really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you guys. This has been so much fun. You guys make it so easy and uh, it has been such a pleasure to chat and get to know you a bit more. Oh, well, this is, this is the dream, just like conversation, fun conversation. We happen to learn as well. So. (laughs) Love it. Stories connect us and thank you for your honesty, vulnerability, and all of your amazing mindset and passion. So we will be cheering you on as you help the team go, whether I'm there or not, we're going to be all, all in on all the athletes heading to Tokyo. So thank you for all the work you're doing for Team Canada, Canadian Paralympic Committee. Go have fun with Frankie outside. <laughs> yes, we're off to ski tour. Woo. Thanks so much. That sounds fun. <laughs> awesome. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. Oh, man, Lowell, you were not exaggerating when you were telling me how amazing Stephanie Dixon was. She is an incredible athlete. Oh, I can see how you guys are kindred spirits. Amazing. When we met in Peru, first, first I saw her doing the cheering, doing the rah-rah, and, and it's awesome. And it's, it, she's really good at that role. But then when we sat down one-on-one and talked about it, just it could have gone on forever. We, we talked on the bus all the way to the closing ceremonies, Aww. and she, she led me. So she was with her crutches and was leading me through. And we talked all the way there, all the way back. And then the last day when everybody was going home, I was waiting to come back to see you guys in the hotel in, in Peru. We talked forever and it just, it felt we were so on the same page. And so to be able to have this conversation now to share with all of you, our listeners, but also to introduce her to you, Julie, is, it's, it's pretty cool. Oh yeah. Not just to me. Like I want everyone to know her. She has such, why am I getting emotional? <laughs> she has such an incredible mindset and I'm, I'm used to observing and witnessing that mindset living with you, but it's just having the female swimmer version of it be a zoom from white horses. Oh, it's just really special. Mm-hmm. So her obstacles in life have been physical. They've been the pressure. She struggled with some anxiety. And, and she speaks about all those opportunities that through the support she's had from her family, her parents, coaches, the Paralympic movement, her community, her animals, nature. I mean, she's just, she delves into to breath, to wellness, to well-being, to growth. Mm-hmm. Um, she really, she actually started to tear up a little bit in that passion around grit mm-hmm. and what that Paralympic spirit of, of grit and tenacity means. And she, she sees that in the athletes that she's working with now. I quietly teared up several times during the conversation. I think one of the first times was when she was talking about the gift that the nurse gave to her and her parents with that skin to skin contact. Mm-hmm. And as a mom, as parents, I'm, I'm sure you agree with me that skin to skin contact when they were first born, there's just there's nothing like it. So I just appreciate that on behalf of her parents. That's just so special that the nurse had that foresight. Yeah, an incredible story. And for all of you, if you want to get to know a little bit more about Stephanie's story, there are a few ways. You can check the, the description, but if you search on the AMI app, 
in the App Store. There's an AMI TV app, and in there you can go under Level Playing Field or search for Stephanie Dixon. And there's the story of Stephanie Dixon as well as the movement, um, the Paralympic movement towards Tokyo. So that's a great story that AMI TV has done. And then there's some other YouTube videos and a lot of really good access. There's season three of Mindset Go that you can also check out on the AMI TV app or search for it online where you get to see Stephanie help support individuals as they do their health and wellness journeys. So really, really powerful. You get to see more of Stephanie and her mindset and as, as she's coaching and mentoring people through. She's also a motivational speaker. So if you need somebody to come to an event or brings that powerful energy and inspiration into, into your life, make sure you check out Stephanie Dixon. Thanks again, Stephanie, for coming on our podcast. And we'll see you all later. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. I guess we won't see you because it's a podcast. Bye. <laughs> Leading to Tokyo 2021, this podcast will be focusing on the stories of elite athletes. If you or someone you know has overcome obstacles on your quest for world-class competition and you'd like to be on our show, please find us at obstaclesandopportunities.com and reach out. Our podcast social media handles are at obsopspod. That is O-B-S-O-P-S-P-O-D. And our personal handles are at Julie Lowell Can, J-U-L-I-E-L-O-W-E-L-L-C-A-N. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.